focus on headline. All right, let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, joining us in the studio today, we have our reporters in Che Ji-hee and Kim Min-ji. Guys, welcome back. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening to you guys. Well, we saw a system breakdown in the South Korean government's major administrative network last Friday. We did briefly touch upon it uh, on our Focus on Headline last week. Uh, this resulted in massive disruptions in civil services nationwide. Now, the large-scale glitch was, however, fixed over the weekend. Uh, it did resume operations as of Monday morning. But uh, nevertheless, let's take a look into the problem in more in-depth. Uh, this with Chi. Tell us more about this. Sure. So the failure of the administrative computer network, which resulted in the delay in issuing various administrative documents, lasted longer than expected. Now, the normal guide guideline for recovery uh, within three hours was not met due to the complexity of the problem, and experts found that the issue was not limited to simple network equipment and authentication servers, but also involved the aging Seor system and disaster recovery system for public servants. Now, the government resolved the issue by addressing each problem individually, such as replacing network equipment and also overhauling the authentication servers. Uh, so a quick recap of what happened. The civil service shutdown began on the 17th, that was last Friday, when a user authentication problem occurred on Seor and spread to the online government service platform called Government24. Now, the cause behind the recent network outage was the failure of network equipment that was connected to the government's authentication system. And Seor and Government24 servers and network equipment are actually located, I mentioned this uh, earlier too, in the National Information Resource Management Center under the Ministry of the Interior and Safety, and it's in Daejeon. In particular, the L4 component, which handles load balancing, was identified as the culprit. And L4 is responsible for distributing network traffic to multiple devices. So this prevents certain servers from being overwhelmed when requests come in from across the country. Now, the government and IT service providers replaced the network equipment, including the L4. But unfortunately, they failed to detect the uh, fundamental problem behind the whole outage. Now, contrary to the government's announcement, the IT service and complementary industries have analyzed that the aging Seor system, uh, the network equipment and authentication servers may also cause the problem. Now, the Seor system was introduced back in 2007 and has operated nationwide in cities, counties, and districts for over 15 years. And small and medium-sized IT companies were in charge of maintenance, and the government has promoted a preliminary feasibility study to build a next-generation system to replace the aging Seor system, but then they postponed the announcement until next year due to the need to make improvements. And an IT company official actually said, until now, we have been simply maintaining this Seor system, but uh, many voices have called for a fundamental improvement to the next generation system, 
because it was aging. And the official said um, the government also considered introducing the next generation s e r o system, but once again postponed it uh, because of various reasons. And in the case of banks, if we take a look, they also have their system. And at least a month's notice is given for system upgrades and patches, and the contents of interrupted services are announced in advance. But the government considers 24-7 uninterrupted service as a value that should not be abandoned. And the problem arose because it did not take enough time to upgrade, uh, according to experts' analyses. Yeah, it was really weird because uh, I, I did not know Know that there was a uh, system, I guess, uh, crash uh, until Friday evening when we covered the particular issue. And I was saying that uh, I try to use the service because for some reason on that day I got a tax return uh, because I had my old car. I, you know, sold it and. Mm. pay taxes on that already and so because I don't own that car anymore I got a tax return and so my app for that wasn't working so I tried to call and boy there was like a they said like the wait for the call was at least an hour and I mm-hmm. think it was because all the people weren't able to use this later of course mm-hmm. I found out that it was because of a ser- server uh, being down there but what could be some fundamental measures to prevent such a problem from occurring again then Well, experts agree that the government should properly investigate, first of all, the truth and take fundamental measures following that. And since government officials and affiliated organizations have limitations in operating these administrative systems, uh, experts believe it's necessary to consider moving to a system where private companies take on related tasks and are just supervised by the government. However, if the problem is not easily caught, uh, even if more than 100 people from private companies are involved, it may be a data problem beyond hardware problems such as uh, the network equipment. So experts also say that it's necessary to establish a data integration plan for administrative computer systems so that when problems do occur, uh, the cause can be immediately identified and dealt with. All right. Uh, in the meantime, let's go over some developments on critical situation involving the Public Administration and Security Committee of the National Assembly. Uh, they're conducting a questioning session uh, with the Ministry of Interior and Safety uh, this on November 23rd. It's later this week uh, addressing the uh, recent government uh, network outage here. Uh, let's get the details of this, Minji. Sure. So the Public Administration Security Committee of the National Assembly will be questioning the Ministry of Interior and Safety on computer network failure this coming Thursday, which is the 23rd. So this session comes right after the approval of major bills in a plenary session. And yes, both the ruling and opposition parties will jointly inquire into the recent computer network outage. Earlier, Minister of Interior and Safety Lee Sang-min submitted a letter of excuse for his absence, citing President Yoon Seok-yeol's over- overseas tour. However, with the outage incident looming large, it's expected that Vice Minister k o g i t o n g will step in to face the questioning on the minister's behalf. Vice Minister k o is set to provide his insights into the incident during the questioning. However, it is also possible for Minister Lee Sang-min to reschedule and personally attend the session as he submitted his excused absence before the network outage occurred. Meanwhile, 
now behind closed doors, the committee chairman and representatives from both ruling and opposition parties received a detailed report on the incident from Vice Minister Go at the National Assembly today afternoon. Yeah, so there's going to be a lot of criticism in regards to this. I had a chance to uh, see uh, an interesting article. I don't know if I should call it an article, but uh, you know that, uh, what is it, Blind it's called? I don't know if it's, oh, it's yeah, a no, website right. or something, or if it's an application. It's an application. Is it an application? Yeah. So it's a blind app, and then uh, it, this is where people in whatever industries, whatever companies, they, uh, you know, anonymously, anonymously write stuff down regarding companies and whatever stuff. And so one neighbor worker was basically saying, it's ironic that when Naver and other companies like Kaka, when they had like their uh, service, service uh, c- collapse, basically, apparently if that happens, if their server goes down, you're supposed to constantly update reports saying what's going on right now, update on the current status of the, uh, you know, the f- operation and fixing it, the progress and all that stuff. But apparently they were saying that it's ironic that the government had always, uh, you know, fined us for not doing certain things. And yet they did not alert, give up any detailed, uh, up-to-date information on what the process was like. So there was no information on what was going on other than the fact that the server was down. And of course, the information coming out later uh, on Sunday and then, of course, just going back into operation. And so all of this is going to be, apparently there's like certain process uh, that you need to take in if there is a, uh, if the server does go down. Uh, in the meantime, President Yoon Sung-gyeol returning home from his trip uh, from the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Summit over in San Francisco. Uh, before we go into his other uh, diplomatic travels overseas, let's first take a look at some major outcomes of the APEC Summit. G uh, of the details of this. Right. So at the 30th APEC Summit, which President Yoon Sung-gyeol attended for the first time since taking office, he focused on demonstrating Korea's leadership in the face of global crises such as extreme uh, weather and supply chain disruptions. Now, between the summits, he met with heads of state and government to strengthen economic cooperation, as well as to secure support for the 2030 Busan World Expo. Uh, in particular, he reaffirmed, reaffirmed his solidarity with the United States and Japan following the Camp David summit in August. However, the summit between Chinese President Xi Jinping and uh, President Yoon Seok-yeol, which was supposed to symbolize a restoration of trilateral relations, including the U.S., did not take place. Although the two leaders met face-to-face for the first time in a year since the G20 in Bali, Indonesia, it was only for a three-minute handshake at the beginning of APEC's first session. Now, observers suggest that this indicates ongoing difficulties in the bilateral relationship between the two countries. And these challenges persist despite the close ties between the United States, South Korea and Japan. Uh, But then they also say she had a tight schedule uh, because he was visiting the United States for the first time in six years and may have contributed to the brief nature of this bilateral meeting. Now, a separate summit was also held between South Korea, the U.S., and Japan, and it was only three months after the Camp David summit and was meant to keep that momentum of trilateral cooperation going. Uh, The South Korean and Japanese leaders also attended the second summit of the IPEF, the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework, which is a U.S.-led economic cooperation uh, on the sidelines of APEC as well, and they discussed supply chain cooperation there. 
Now, at the seventh Korea-Japan summit held this year, President Yoon and Prime Minister Kishida agreed to make further efforts to ensure that the achievements of uh, the relations between the two countries can be felt in various fields. And also on the sidelines of APEC, Yoon and Kishida also participated in a roundtable discussion at Stanford University where they discussed uh, ways to strengthen their ties in the field of high-tech cooperation. And Minji will tell us more about this later on. Yeah, it was kind of unusual, right? Uh, we, we were only speculating last week that maybe President Yoon Suk-yeol and uh, Chinese President Xi Jinping will hold some sort of discussions on the sidelines of the APEC summit. Uh, but granted, we do understand that the, the biggest meeting was between Biden and Xi. And that was done very relatively early in the the, the itinerary or in the schedule for uh, both uh, leaders. And so assuming that China maybe wants to uh, get South Korea back on track, siding with them as they're getting further and further away from China and closer with uh, the United States and Japan, that there would have been some sort of uh, planning ahead and uh, have a uh, summit between the two sides. But that didn't happen. And and, uh, you could kind of tell where the priority stands at this time, both with uh, the United States and with China right now. It's not on the Korean Peninsula issues right now. It's on those two right now and in, in the midst of this uh, trade war. But other than that, what were some things that President Yoon focused on during the leaders meeting? Well, at the summit, which was themed creating a resilient and sustainable future for all, Yoon proposed a way forward for APEC amid layered challenges such as the war in Ukraine, the Israeli-Hamas armed conflict, supply chain instability, and the climate crisis. Now, with the climate crisis on the agenda in session one, Yoon explained Korea's role and contribution in three areas, this including utilizing carbon-free energy, uh, transitioning to eco-friendly transportation, as well as closing the climate gap. And in session two, he emphasized the need to strengthen norm-based order and pledged Korea's leadership role in helping the international community work together to build uh, resilient supply chains. And President Yoon's visit to San Francisco also included economic diplomacy, uh, including the APEC CEO summit, as well as a meeting with Apple CEO Tim Cook. And the CEO summit attended by over 1,200 heads of state and CEOs of big tech companies emphasized the importance of global economic connectivity and proposed that supply chain resilience be a top priority for APEC cooperation. And also on the sidelines of APEC, there were a lot of sideline events uh, during this whole summit. You right. also mm, met with leaders from Chile, Peru, Vietnam, Canada, and Mexico. And you also spoke about the need to work together against North Korea's military cooperation with Russia and rallied support for Busan ahead of the final vote on the Expo's host city, according to the presidential office. Yeah, I mean, compared to maybe some of the other international events, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of big summits. Uh, taken part by President Yoon Zagir. But uh, I think more emphasis on the fact that uh, he is continuously uh, pushing for uh, the hosting rights for Busan for the 2030 World Expo. But a significant announcement from uh, President Yoon Zagir outlining a three-pronged strategy for international cooperation in space, uh, sorry, in science and technology. Uh, let's get the details of the groundbreaking initiative. Uh, Minji, you have more on this. 
Sure. So on November, November 17th, local time, President Yoon Suk-yeol revealed a strategic plan aimed at realizing the Camp David principles and spirit in science and technology sectors. So these principles adopted by President Yoon, U.S. President Joe Biden, and Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida in August serve as a guiding vision for trilateral cooperation. At the trilateral summit held at the Hoover Institution of Stanford University, President Yoon unveiled the three areas of focus for collaboration, that is, original and high-tech industries, AI and digital technologies, and carbon reduction. And in the realm of high-tech industries, President Yoon Suk-yeol emphasized immediate discussions to identify and promote joint projects. And in order to facilitate this, a significant expansion of the global joint research support budget is planned for next year with flexibility to respond to technological cooperation with like-minded countries. President Yoon also highlighted the transformative potential of the digital and quantum science, such as AI and 6G mobile communications. He also stressed the importance of jointly developing technologies to enhance life and prosperity for the people of the three countries and humanity at large. However, amid the benefits of AI, President Yoon acknowledged concerns about uh, concerns such as the threat of fake news to democracy. He proposed establishing an international organization under the United Nations to set AI and digital norms with the active involvement of the United States, South Korea, and Japan. Now, also in a uh, question and answer session, uh, President Yoon highlighted the crucial role of international cooperation in addressing climate change and uh, stressed the need for a shift in perception towards energy transition. Uh, can you elaborate on specific tra- strategies or policies the Yoon administration is considering to promote this shift or even foster collaboration on a uh, global scale? Sure. Um, in the Q&A session, uh, President Yoon stressed the importance of international cooperation in responding to climate change. He emphasized the need for countries to shift their per- perception of energy transition from a cost to an investment market and industry. Also, when asked about the direction of uh, the innovation, President Yoon highlighted the significance of diversity education, likening it to encouraging students to have diversity diverse uh, diets. He also emphasized the importance of letting diverse supply and demand take place in the market. In closing, President Yoon reiterated the strength of unity among the three countries as declared in the Camp David principles. He expressed hopes for the opening of a new era marked by unwavering solidarity and determination and also encouraging citizens to challenge themselves and grow. Now, again, we mentioned uh, President Yoon. Uh, He has been very busy uh, from the very start of his administration last year, actually, uh, embarking on a uh, number of overseas trips, uh, Mm -hmm. making way through many diplomatic uh, events. And uh, as soon as he returned from the APEC summit, now President Yoon is embarking on a week-long trip that will take him first to UK for a state visit and then to France 
this for a final diplomatic campaign to bring the World Expo 2030 to Busan. So, uh, Ji, tell us about this week-long trip over to Europe. Sure. So first, the four-day state visit to London comes at the invitation of King Charles III. And the presidential office has said Yoon and First Lady Kim Gon-hee will be Britain's first state guests since the king's coronation in May, uh, showing London's special importance on its relationship with Seoul. And according to Kim Tae-ho, Principal Deputy National Security Advisor, the state visit to the UK aims to strengthen strategic cooperation with a key friendly nation. Now, the visit's highlights are scheduled for Tuesday. Uh, Yoon and the First Lady will be welcomed in a royal ceremony, starting with Prince William and his wife, Kate Middleton, joining them at their hotel to escort them to Horse Guards Parade for the official welcoming ceremony. And then President Yoon and King Charles will then travel in a carriage procession of Buckingham Palace to Buckingham Palace, where they will attend a welcome luncheon with around 50 other guests. And then later, the president is expected to deliver a speech to the British Parliament, likely in English, uh, about the Korea-Britain relationships beginnings and the way forward. And the day will end with a state dinner at Buckingham Palace, attended by approximately 180 people. Now, the following day's schedule will include a summit between Yoon and British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak, or Sunak, is it? Sunak. Sunak, on strengthening strategic uh, cooperation in various areas, including digital technology, artificial intelligence, cybersecurity, nuclear power, uh, the defense industry, as well as semiconductors and space. Now, the two countries will adopt a Korea-Britain accord in the uh, occasion of the summit to outline the direction of future bilateral cooperation as well. And Yoon also plans to discuss ways to improve the free trade agreement between the two countries to facilitate Korean businesses' entry into the British market following its exit from the EU. Now, before leaving Britain on Thursday, Yoon will visit the Churchill War Rooms Museum and exchange farewell greetings with King Charles at Buckingham Palace. He will then head to Paris to meet the delegates from member states of the Bureau International Day Expositions, which is the body overseeing the World Expo, uh, to make a final pitch for Korea's bid to host the 2030 edition uh, of its uh, War Expo in Busan. And the meetings will come only days before the delegates vote to choose the host city on the 28th of this month, with Korea, as we know, in a three-way race against the Saudi Arabia and Rome, uh, Italy. You know what I heard uh, recently is that, excuse me, uh, South Korea Mm -hmm. might actually have a very good chance of getting the 2030 World Expo bid. Now, it changed because they were saying that uh, Saudi Arabia was kind of in the lead. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was like as much as they would like to say it was a two-way race. Like it was just Saudi Arabia just put way too much money into this particular event. Mm -hmm. And uh, apparently the thing that kind of changed things was the fact that uh, the 2030, is is it the 2030 FIFA World Cup? 2030 FIFA World Cup Mm -hmm. is going to take place in Saudi Arabia. And so they don't want... Uh, apparently, wait—is it the twenty thirty? Wait, where's the, where's the twenty thirty World Cup? Where is this uh, host country? I'm trying to. I thought it was. Uh, oh no, this is the one. Wait a second, twenty thirty Spain? No, the twenty thirty thirty four maybe. Anyway, Saudi Arabia is going to be hosting Something one else. of the one of the World mm-hmm. Cups, right? Okay. And so they don't want 
to keep it so close mm -hmm. with them hosting the World Expo and then have the FIFA World Cup like really close to it. Apparently, that's that's the rumors that are going on right now. And uh, you know, the 2030 is uh, hosted by Morocco. Then what about which one was Saudi Arabia? Saudi Arabia uh, World Cups. Apologies for this. Uh, they are going to be hosting the 2034. So like uh -huh. four years after the World Expo. So they were saying they didn't want to keep it so close that they are able to host mm -hmm. the World Expo and the, the FIFA World Cup right afterwards. Mm -hmm. And so now South Korea is the favorite to host the World Expo. Mm -hmm. Is apparently Fingers what it is. Crossed. But... You just never know with Saudi Arabia. Mm -hmm. They just got so much money that we just don't know. But now it went from uh, really little hope to now some hope. And uh, <laughs> there, there are people saying that right now. South Korea actually has a, a very, very good chance mm -hmm. at this. Uh, nevertheless, we also have some updates uh, when it comes to President Yoon's statements regarding international relations, uh, particularly with North Korea, China, and Russia, as well as his state visit to the UK. Minji, uh, give us more on the, the key points there. Well, in an interview with the UK's Telegraph today, President Yoon Suk-yeol addressed the complex dynamics between North Korea, China, and Russia. He emphasized that these countries have differing interests, stating that it would not be in China's interest to align itself with Russia and North Korea. President Yoon highlighted that pursuing trilateral cooperation with nations that have violated UN Charter, uh, Security Council resolutions, and international norms would not benefit China. China's international reputation. He stressed that China's vital role in promoting freedom, peace, and prosperity in Asia and the global community. Expressing concerns about North Korea's armed support to Russia and potential threats to the security of South Korea, President Yoon emphasized the gravity of military cooperation between Russia and North Korea. He called it a violation of UN Security Council resolutions. Also, in the face of geopolitical risks, including the North Korean nuclear threat and the tensions in the Taiwan Strait and the South China Sea, President Yoon highlighted South Korea's commitment to further strengthen security cooperation with allies such as the United States, United Kingdom, and Australia. Now, what about President Yoon's uh, state visit to the UK? What specific areas of collaboration is Yoon seeking to strengthen between uh, South Korea and the UK? And also... What kind of outcomes or partnerships is he envisioning for future bilateral relations? Well, President Yoon, as Ji reported, is set to leave the country today for a state visit to United Kingdom. Uh, he was actually invited by King Charles III since his coronation in May. And during his visit, he will hold a summit with Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. Uh, he expressed the, the significance of South Korea as the first country to be, to be invited by King Charles III, emphasizing the mutual need for cooperation in the Indo-Pacific region and on the global stage. In discussions about the visit, President Yoon expressed his desire to develop forward-looking cooperation in various areas, including politics, economics, science and technology, and people-to-people -people exchanges. An economic delega delegation comprising over 70 members will accompany President Yoon. Um, they aim to explore new business opportunities with the British companies. 
And that's the big thing, right? Uh, even during the APEC summit, uh, a lot of people are maybe saying that President Yoon, you know, there was not a lot of whole lot of outcomes. But then you have to understand that after meeting with some of the American business uh, uh, businessmen, uh, President Yoon, I believe, were, was able to get a 1.19 billion U.S. dollars in, in investment. Uh, U.S. investment into South Korea. So again, you know, he does tout himself as uh, Korea's number one salesman, and so which is why you're also going to get a large number of delegation uh, heading uh, to Europe with him as well. Uh, President Yoon's state visit to the U.K. is expected to explore more cooperation uh, when it comes to achieving the common goal of carbon neutrality. So, Chia, fill us in more on this. Sure. So, with Yoon's state visit, it'll be interesting to see if trade between the two countries, uh, South Korea and the UK, will be upgraded to a carbon-neutral partner. Now, if we take a look at the trade figures, South Korea's exports to the UK totaled $6.3 billion last year, which is smaller than other uh, European countries, such as Germany and Poland, which account for 10 billion one billion dollars and 7.9 billion dollars respectively uh, but it opens up new possibilities for cooperation on carbon neutrality now in particular offshore wind projects new nuclear power plant construction and small modular reactor development projects which the uk government is focusing on are likely to be a promising areas of cooperation now, the two countries are also expected to create synergies in high-tech sectors, such as bio and semiconductors. Now, according to the Korea International Trade Association, uh, excuse me, uh, COTRA, the UK has a small trade volume with Korea with exports of $6.3 billion and imports of $8.5 billion as of last year. Now, electric vehicles, 15.9%, uh, account for the largest share of exports to the UK, while crude oil with 17.2% is the top import item. But new opportunities are expected as the UK has been active in its carbon neutrality policy. So in 2019, it became the first country in the world to introduce a legal target of zero greenhouse gas emissions in 2050 or net zero. And carbon neutrality is also a key pillar of the UK's uh, energy security and growth uh, strategy. And according to Kotra, in the Powering Up Britain Net Zero Growth Plan announced in March, the UK government highlighted, first of all, selection of new nuclear power plants, uh, S, uh, SMR technologies, and demonstration of next generation reactors, and also offshore wind and solar power, as well as carbon capture and utilization as their core strategies. Now, these are the next generation sectors which uh, Korea is also spurring technology development in. And so we're seeing possibilities yeah. in cooperation in these fields. Uh, the cooperation between the two countries is particularly noteworthy in uh, nuclear power as well, where, I mean, of course, South Korea is globally competitive, right? Mm, that's right. So the UK government aims to develop 24 gigawatts of nuclear power by 2050, but only seven gigawatts of nuclear power plants are currently in operation. So they really need more investment uh, in this area. So the two governments have been discussing cooperation in the nuclear industry. And in April, they issued a joint declaration to expand cooperation in uh, nuclear power as well as clean energy. 
The declaration includes exploring the possibility of participating in constructing new nuclear power plants in the UK. And also in March, on the occasion of the launch of the Great British Nuclear, or the GBN, uh, KEPCO agreed to discuss the possibility of participating in the construction of new nuclear power plants in the UK. And KEPCO was the preferred bidder for the uh, Moorside nuclear project in the UK in 2016 and 2017, but then they dropped out due to economic concerns. And according to Kotra, in the short term, the priority should be on the government's uh, Korean government's participation in large-scale nuclear power plant construction projects in the UK and the export of nuclear power plant equipment uh, to the UK market. But then in the long term, in the future, it may be possible to establish a corporate network with the UK nuclear power plant operator or even use an agent company to ex- export nuclear equipment independently. Certainly be uh, something that uh, we could look forward mm. to there. Also, we have some developments uh, involving heightened tensions on the Korean peninsula. Let's come back here. Uh, the Joint Chiefs of Staff issued a stern warning to North Korea uh, earlier on Monday, urging an immediate halt to the launch of their military reconnaissance satellite. Of course, we're still yet to see the third launch uh, from North Korea just yet. Uh, let's get the details of this, Minji. Well, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the JCS, delivered a strong message today condemning North Korea's pursuit of a military reconnaissance satellite, despite repeated warnings from the U.S.-ROK alliance and the international community. In a warning released by the Ministry of National Defense, Lieutenant General Kang Ho-pil, Chief Director of Operations at the JCS, stated the launch of a military reconnaissance satellite is a clear violation of the U.N. Security Council resolutions and a provocative act that threatens our national security. Lieutenant General Gang emphasized that if North Korea proceeds with the launch, necessary measures will will be taken to ensure the safety of the South Korean people. He did not elaborate on what he meant by necessary measures, but the government is believed to be considering partially suspending a 2018 inter-Korean military agreement. So the agreement calls for setting up buffer zones and no-fly zones near the inter-Korean border to ban artillery firing, naval drills, and surveillance activities in order to prevent clashes between the two Koreas. Meanwhile, South Korea has expressed frustration, stating that the agreement is essentially in name only as North Korea's action over the years have undermined its effectiveness and as such time of tensions in the Korean Peninsula, the agreement greatly hinders South Korea's readiness posture. So, Minji, can you elaborate more on the limitations imposed by the no-fly zone under the uh, inter-Korean military agreement? Well, the military has raised concerns that the no-fly zone established under the 2018 inter-Korean military agreement limits South Korea's ability to conduct surveillance and reconnaissance of North Korea. And in response, the government is reportedly considering suspending some provisions, including the no-fly zone, if North Korea proceeds with the satellite launch. Now, it's unusual for military officials to actually issue a warning statement before a North Korea actually conducts a launch. 
launch, but rather than a condemnation afterward. A Joint Chiefs of Staff official explained that the announcement follows the outcome of a National Security Council meeting held earlier in the day. Uh, meanwhile, the military is closely monitoring North Korea's preparations for the launch, and as we have seen one too many times, it is very difficult to actually predict North Korea's actions, citing North Korea's past deceptive behavior. Yeah, I think the uh, Defense Minister Shin won came out that uh, North Korea might be firing it within the week or at least uh, by November 30th, I think was the date that he gave, but uh, who knows, right? Uh, this is an interesting one. A video has been posted on a uh, Telegram channel linked to the Russian military thanking North Korea for its weapons aid. G, tell us more about this. Sure. So a Telegram channel titled Paratroopers Diary posted a video on the 12th local time showing a Russian soldier standing in front of dozens of shells and saying, our friends have provided us with new ammunition and this ammunition has a long longer range and better accuracy. Now, victory will be ours. Uh, and the post also read the long-range multiple launch rockets kindly provided by our, by our North Korean comrades have arrived at the Special Military Operation Area. Now, the paratroopers' diary is uh, described as a channel the Russian military operates. And the U.S. White House said last month that more than 1,000 containers loaded with weapons had traveled from North Korea to Russia. And South Korean military officials have es estimated that North Korea sent more than 2,000 containers of weapons to Russia through the port of Najin. And uh, Russia has actually denied these allegations. Meanwhile, North Korea has criticized the United States for selling arms to South Korea and Japan and threatened to further accelerate the construction of a war deterrent in response. In fact, the U.S. government recently made a tentative decision to sell F-35 stealth fighter jets as well as standard missile six shipborne missile interceptors uh, to South Korea and some other weapons such as a cruise missile to Japan under the foreign military sale or the FMS program. And it criticized the U.S. arms sales to South Korea and Japan as a dangerous act that escalates military tensions on the Korean peninsula and in the Northeast Asia and triggers a new arms race. Now, the North Korean uh, criticism of the U.S. arms sales is interpreted as a pretext for provocations such as the launch of its military reconnaissance satellites and missiles. We're going to round things out. Last week, we had a blast <laughs> having one of our reporters talk about the LG Twins winning the Korean series. We're not going to do sports. We're going to do eSports this time. Uh, T1, this is the South Korean League of Legends team uh, led by faker Lee Sang-yuk. Uh, they won the League of Legends World Championships at Kochuk Sky Dome in Seoul on Sunday. This is also called uh, Lord Cup in Korean. Uh, Minji, in your best eSports commentator, reporter style, uh, tell us more about this, uh, this uh, historic achievement. In a stunning 3-0 victory, T1, the dominant force in the League of Legends Championship Korea, emerged triumphant against the Chinese Weibo Gaming in the final of Lourdes Cup. The electrifying match took place yesterday, the 19th, captivating fans at the Gochak Sky Dome. Uh, T1's dominance continued and secured the first set in 30 minutes. And throughout the match, T1 played confidently and remained stone-faced as they reached the final seconds of each game, 
of the Best of Five series. Uh, T1's captain Lee Sang-yeop, better known as Faker, and the team have now secured their fourth victory in the World Championship following its wins in 2013, 15, and 16. Next year's World Championship final will take place at the O2 Arena in London. All right, there you go. Can't have done it any better. Guys, thank you very much for your report. Stay safe, and uh, we'll see you guys again. Thank you. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.